Today's edition of the Derek Hunter Podcast is brought to you by Life Change Tea. Why go to GetTheTea.com? Because this important news could change your life. Socrates made a statement saying that all disease starts in the gut. Take care of your gut, and well, the rest speaks for itself. Life Change Tea is a wonderful way to aid in your digestion. Brew it, steep it, drink it, and feel it go to work. We at Life Change Tea have been around for years helping people just like you feel better. Lots of testimonials and lots of happy people. Log on to GetTheTea.com. That's GetTheTea.com. GetTheTea.com. Oh, baby and boy, howdy. Welcome to it. It is the Derek Hunter Podcast for the 23rd of March, 2022. I almost made it 2023. I am Derek Hunter. I am that'd be awesome because then Republicans might control at least one House of Congress. I am Derek Hunter. I am your host. Welcome to the program. Appreciate the listening and the use of your ears. And please keep telling friends about the show. Send them the link. Posting it on social media. All that good stuff. You guys are the I'd say the best, but you are the best. But you're also the only advertising we have. So I appreciate the hell out of anything you do to help. Spread the word. Spread the word, of course. Uh, thank you for uh, subscribing to the uh, Week in and Review at patreon.com slash Podcast, where the news is spoken about the way it frankly deserves to be spoken about. And you get comedic rants and everything. Whatever comes to mind, whatever strikes me at the moment comes out of my mouth as I sit down to record. Check it out. You'll like it. Plus, that's where you enter to win the contest. This week's contest is uh, signed books by either John Cleese or Matt Walsh. You choose. You pick which one you want should your name be drawn. And then, boom, if your name is drawn, you win that one. It's really just that simple. It's so easy a contest, even I could run it. I swear to God. Because I do. So I appreciate all the support there. Five bucks a month is all we ask. So thank you to everybody who does that. And for the rest of you, please consider supporting the program. Also, don't forget to go to Life Change Tea. Get the tea.com. It's the tea that changes your life, keeps you regular, gets you going, cleans you out, and then you're free. It just, I just ate a, a bunch of squash. Yeah, I know. Sexy, right? Squash with tomatoes, and grape tomatoes, and uh, spinach, and a little bit of feta cheese, and some, uh, what do you call them? Some pine nuts, roasted pine nuts, and olive oils, like sautéed or boiled or fried, whatever the hell you do it, cooked in olive oil. For, I don't know, 20, 25 minutes, whatever. Obviously, things can all go in at once. The spinach would completely disappear if you put it in at the beginning, but it was delicious. It was delicious, and I will absorb all of the nutrition from that or as much as possible because I have been cleaned out by Life Change Tea at GetTheTea.com. Use promo code Derek, my name, D-E-R-E-K, at checkout. Click apply. You get free, fast shipping. GetTheTea.com, promo code Derek, and, of course, Patreon.com slash Derek Hunter Podcast, all one word. That's where you see the pictures of the family and all that good stuff as well. All right, let's get on with the show. Let's get this thing going because it's probably going to be a long one today. A lot has happened since we last spoke, and uh, we're going to cover as much of it as humanly possible in the time allotted. It's amazing to me watching this. Here, you know, <clears throat> maybe I'm just too cynical, and I've been called too cynical before, believe it or not, ladies and gentlemen, believe it or not. I have been called a cynic, and I suppose I am, but I uh, watch the happenings up on Capitol Hill 
And if you watched any of the Katanji Brown Jackson confirmation hearings, day one, they, there were no questions asked. It was all opening statements. If you listen to Democrats talk, <clears throat> it's as if she was the chosen one. She were the greatest legal sent down from Mount Olympus by the gods themselves to join the Supreme Court, to bring some semblance of sanity to the mess that is the United States Constitution. She has no flaws whatsoever. She has never, Ketanji Brown Jackson, has never once left a hotel room untidy or left a bathroom smelling anything less than a meadow full of flowers. She is perhaps God, well, not God's gift to us, more like God's gift to himself to listen to these leftists talk. Now, again, none of them know her. None of them really know anything about her. Oh, yes, they've voted for her or voted on her in the past for the circuit court. And, uh, you know, Republicans are guilty of this to a certain extent, but Democrats always go overboard because they go and they throw in also the it's historic on top of everything else. But... Uh, <laughs> They talk about her. Oh, my God, she's wonderful. She's a brilliant legal mind. They've spoken to her, I would assume, twice in their lifetimes. Twice in their lifetimes. Both times their opinions were made up before they ever spoke to her. She was nominated by a Democrat. They're a Democrat. They're going to vote for her. The same yes can be said cynically. They're nominated for, by a Democrat. You're a Republican. You're going to vote against her. Although... That's not the way it works. Democrats vote party line constantly. If you just look it up, Democrats believe there's never been a conservative judge worthy of voting for. And uh, Republicans vote because they believe that the president has the right to nominate people. I think it's wrong. I think Democrats should get a big dose of their own medicine, but that's beside the point. That being said, again, all of these people have only spoken to Ketanji Brown Jackson at the most three times probably twice. And uh, both of those times were in public settings. The first time when she was a circuit court nominee, because they have to be confirmed by the Senate as well. But they don't necessarily get one-on-one -on -one meetings with senators, members of the Judiciary Committee. They, there's just too many of them. There's so much going on. Supreme Court members get uh, nominees, get the private meetings with the uh, Senators, I guess if there's a problem, if there's a controversy or something that needs to be addressed, then yes, the the senator will meet with them to try and save their nomination. But it's just not common. So they've spoken to her at her confirmation hearing, her first confirmation hearing, and they've spoken to her yesterday at her confirmation hearing. Yet you would think that Ketanji Brown Jackson saved each and every one of these Democrats' lives in Vietnam or something in the Gulf War, or whatever. Whatever it was, she is perhaps America's greatest hero. Unsung as it were, but such is the curse of true heroes, is that uh, your, your heroism will go unsung. I want to play for you uh, some audio from Cory Booker first. Cory Booker is senator from New Jersey. He ran for president. It didn't work out very well. It's got to love it when Democrats talk about racism. 
and the uh, that every chance they, they had a, all the time in the world, all the chances in the world to vote for Cory Booker, and they didn't. They had a chance to vote for Kamala Harris, and they didn't. Like Democrats in Maryland. Oh, racism, racism, racism. Hey, uh, you can nominate a black guy. Yeah, but we're not going to vote for him. We're not going to vote for him. Every chance they've had to vote for a, a black guy statewide, they have turned down. It's weird. Well, Cory Booker, in his opening statement, opening statement days is a waste of time. Can we just say that? Opening statement day is a waste of time. It's just posturing. But they have to go through it. It's pomp, it's circumstance, it's a foregone conclusion, but they're just going to go through with it. Cory Booker is uh, almost kind of crying here. He's so excited about a black woman being nominated to the Supreme Court, especially this one, because this is the best black woman ever in the history of black women. I'm sure Cory Booker's mom is pleased to hear that. But listen to Cory Booker from yesterday. Today to me is a day of joy. I cannot tell you how happy I am. Today we should rejoice because President Biden nominated someone that we've heard to be the 116th associate judge of the Supreme Court who is extraordinarily talented and who also happens to be a black woman. Something we've never seen before. It's just, it's extraordinarily talented. How? But she just is. Don't you understand? She's a, she's a liberal, liberal judge. That's all. And you sit there and you go, oh, God, he's so, he's so moved. He's so proud. Uh, finally, someone who looks like him nominated, to, but a woman nominated to the Supreme Court. Forget the fact that, you know, uh, Clarence Thomas is currently sitting on the Supreme Court. Clarence Thomas isn't really black to Cory Booker. He's not. He doesn't count. To Democrats in general, he's not really black. He's married a white woman, and let's be honest. He's a conservative. He's not a liberal activist, so he doesn't count. So you get all this, oh my God, Ketanji Brown-Jackson, she's so historic. The only other option is she's historic because she uses the women's room, presumably. Cory Booker acting as though he'd never in a million years imagined that somebody like Ketanji Brown-Jackson could get nominated to the Supreme Court. Could. It's a historic date. It brings a tear to his eye. <laughs> yeah, uh, you're a United States senator. I hate to break it to you, dude. You're a United States senator. Um, there currently is a, a black member of the Supreme Court. His name is Clarence Thomas. He's been there for quite some time. You leftists hate him. You left us also filibustered Janice Rogers Brown, who was likely going to be the first black woman nominated to the Supreme Court. And you filibustered her, filibustered her specifically because she was likely to be the first African-American woman nominated to the Supreme Court. And you didn't want a Republican to do that. You didn't want a conservative black woman on the court. So spare me all your histrionics. Cory Booker, who grew up the child of the uh, of two executives at IBM, Cory Booker did not ever go without. Cory Booker, he uh, famously, when he was mayor of Newark, lived in a bad neighborhood in Newark, rented an apartment there with his armed security, which you know kind of defeats the purpose. But uh, whatever, it was all for show. But he was a uh, a poverty tourist. That was what he was. That was who he was. That was how he was. 
he's still kind of the same way. Oh, it's just a historic moment. Really? Really, Corey? You, uh, you grew up rich. Why don't you talk to us about oppression there? Not surprisingly, that was one of the more sane comments when it came to Ketanji Brown Jackson. Now I want to play for you the dumbest. Now, Cory Booker, he's plenty dumb. But the dumbest member of the United States Senate and all of Congress and perhaps all of the history of Congress is Maisie Hirono from Hawaii. I get it. Nobody wants, nobody sane, nobody smart wants to make that flight every week from Hawaii to Washington, D.C. And probably nobody sane wants to leave Hawaii to go to Washington, D.C. So you send Maisie Hirono. It just seemed like you could do better than that. I don't know. Offer a state bonus or something. Find some way to do better than Maisie Hirono. She was insistent. She was quite proud of the fact. She was quite angry at people saying all of those things. That Katanji Brown Jackson was nominated because of the color of her skin. She's really, really mad about that. It's an outrage because no other human being has ever been more qualified for the Supreme Court than Katanji Brown Jackson. Listen to Maisie Hirono's opening statement. All my Republican colleagues and public figures have attempted to undermine your qualifications through their pejorative use of the term affirmative action. And they have implied you were solely nominated due to your race and not for other factors. Apparently, some have even claimed that you need to show your LSAT scores to determine whether you are a top legal mind. This is incredibly offensive and condescending. Let me be clear. Your nomination is about not about filling a quota. It is about time. It's about time that we have a highly qualified, highly accomplished black woman on the Supreme Court. It is about time. It is about time we have uh, about... Now, Maisie Hirono is Japanese, uh, Japanese-American. It's weird because she loves identity politics. She loves identity politics. There's so much to go into, into digesting in this. She loves identity politics. Why isn't she demanding that there is some Asian American representation on the Supreme Court? That seem weird. That seem weird that she. Uh, no, no, no. This is great. This is absolutely somebody who talks about my people, my people, my people, and then says, "Oh, no, no, but not now, not now, no, no, no." This. Because progressives are progressives first and foremost. Anything else they are is a distant second. Anything else they are is almost by accident. It's incidental. It doesn't matter. They are progressives first and foremost. Period. End of story. So she can run around and go, oh, I don't know. Oh, it's about time that somebody got nominated like this. Which is weird because she spends a lot of time addressing Asian American groups. She was front and center on the uh, resolution condemning Asian-American hate. Oh, no, my people have been through enough. Horrible, horrible. She hasn't said much about the attacks recently. It's weird because it's not really in the news, so she doesn't care. But she wants to point out that she was not... I mean, first of all, Maisie, familiarize yourself with what you're saying. She can't pronounce affirmative action. She can't pronounce. It's the first time she's read it. She's one of those senators who reads whatever her staff gives her. She is the Ron Burgundy of the United States Senate. Secondly, oh, some people are trying to say that you were only nominated because of your skin color. Well, no. Some people are pointing out that she was, according to the guy who nominated her, Maisie. 
It's amazing watching Democrats try to recreate, rewrite history in real time. It's, it's a, a fascinating thing because everybody knows the truth. And they're just some people, like the kid with crumbs all over their face and chocolate all over their fingers and all the cookies are gone and they're complaining about a bellyache and you say, well, did you eat all these cookies? No, it wasn't me. I don't even know what happened to those cookies. You know exactly what happened to those cookies. Everybody knows exactly what happened. The kid at least has an excuse. The kid is a kid. Five-year-old kid saying, I didn't eat those cookies. That's understandable. Maisie Hirono is probably in her 60s. And she's sitting there going, I didn't eat those cookies. And she's covered in, in cookie crumbs and chocolate. I didn't eat those cookies. Let's go back in time to Joe Biden. Back in 2020, it was a different time. He was running for president at the time. And he pledged to nominate somebody expressly because of their skin color. Our process is going to be rigorous. I will select a nominee worthy of Justice Breyer's legacy of excellence and decency. While I've been studying candidates' backgrounds and writings, I've made no decision except one. The person I will nominate will be someone with extraordinary qualifications, character, experience, and integrity. And that person will be the first black woman ever nominated to the United States Supreme Court. It's long overdue in my view. I made that commitment during the campaign for president, and I will keep that commitment. All right, well, that was when he, the nomination and the process had started. Now we go back to 2020. Again, it's his own words. Maisie, you might want to look at, I will get somebody who's qualified, but the most qualified black woman, not the most qualified person. He could have just said, I'll get the most qualified person and nominated a black woman, and boom, this is the most qualified person. He didn't. He had to cheapen it because he wanted the political points. He wanted the political congratulations. So here's Joe Biden back in 2020 during the campaign. I committed that if I'm elected president, have an opportunity to appoint someone to the courts, will be a, I'll appoint the first black woman to the courts. It's required that they have representation now. It's long overdue. It's required that they have representation now. Where is it required? And then why is it not required for, I don't know, Asian Americans, Native Americans? Never been any of them on the Supreme Court. I don't know how many of uh, the uh, Supreme Court justices have been left-handed, but I doubt that they are accurately represented in the Supreme Court. Uh, tall people, short people, there's never been a little person on the Supreme Court. Why are they denied representation? For Maisie Hirono to go, oh, some people are out there saying that you were only nominated because of the, yeah, the president of the United States, Joe Biden, is saying that. Joe Biden has cheapened her nomination. She may well be brilliant. She may well be well qualified. She may well be the best candidate out there that a Democrat could possibly nominate without them absolutely freaking out and burning down everything in the country. That may be the case. But Joe Biden cheapened her nomination by making it about her skin color because, well, because it scores points with the left and because Joe Biden is dumb, plain and simple. And Maisie Hirono is even dumber than that. Now, you got to give props where props are due. Maisie Hirono is, you know, the dumbest member of the United States Senate, the, the entire Congress. But uh, she's not the dumbest person on the face of the earth. That title is still up for grabs. She's definitely in contention. Definitely in contention. But, uh, you know, it's being the dumbest member of Congress 
relative to Hollywood, relative to the entertainment industry, really just makes you uh, one of the highly ranked amateurs out there if you are the dumbest member of Congress. Like Eric Swalwell, yeah, he's he's not run-of-the-mill dumb. He's Olympic-level dumb. That's, you know, he's going to be up there. Maisie Hirono, the same thing. But uh, is that as dumb as, say, any of the... Uh, the loser drug addicts you'll see on uh, the the Oscars this weekend. That's a tough call. That's a tough call. History will ultimately have to judge. We can only sit back and enjoy the contest. But in the meantime, there are plenty of members out there who are making the case that they are the dumbest person on the face of the earth. Certainly dumber than Maisie Hirono. And one of them, proudly is Whoopi Goldberg. Good old Whoopi Goldberg. She seems, she's becoming a statement. Every single day, she keeps upping her game. Because, and you gotta give her credit where credit is due, Whoopi Goldberg is willing to speak as if she has authority on topics about which she knows literally nothing. You have to admire that. That is required to really genuinely be that stupid. Just just insist. Like, hey, man, this is how it is. On The View yesterday, they were talking, of course, about the confirmation hearing of Ketanji Brown-Jackson. And Whoopi seized on something that Mitch McConnell had said, something that if you look at Ketanji Brown-Jackson's record, you would say, oh, that makes sense, that maybe some, some judges simply are soft on crime. When you look at Katanji Brown Jackson's record of sentencing, as, as Josh Hawley has pointed out, sentencing people for uh, child pornography, possession, distribution, what have you, she goes uh, not above and beyond, below and beyond the sentencing guidelines and what the prosecutors have requested. She goes kind of lenient on them. Now, this is a common thread throughout the left, they want criminal justice reform. Criminal justice reform is just code for letting a lot of people out of prison. Criminal justice reform is just code for making prison sentences lighter, let, being soft on crime by being soft on criminals. That's what criminal justice reform is. It's not as though there are still draconian laws. I don't know. Most people don't know this. But there's something called the Hash Bash. I think it's on April 4th every year in Ann Arbor, Michigan. I can't remember for uh, obvious reasons, where it was. But um, it is uh, it commemorates a concert that John Lennon did in Ann Arbor, Michigan, back in the 70s. A guy, what was it, John Sinclair. John Lennon wrote a horrible song called John Sinclair. It ain't from John Sinclair in the stir for breathing air. Horrible song on a horrible album called uh, Sometime in New York City. John Lennon had a really horrible phase in his solo career in the early 70s. I think it was mostly when he was a junkie. But um, the uh, thing about John Sinclair is he got caught with two joints. And the rules, the laws at the time were so draconian that he was sentenced to 10 years in prison for being caught in possession of two marijuana cigarettes. I think most people would agree that that is a bit much. That's what the left would like you to believe is still happening today. It's not what's happening 
today. We have something rather dramatically different happening today. You have to be caught with a lot of weed or a lot of times with a lot of weed in order to really face any serious jail time for marijuana. But to hear the left talk about it, prisons are simply overflowing with black men stuffed in there simply because they were black and caught with marijuana. And I want to tell you about, oh, I don't know, the other extenuating circumstances. Anybody in prison for marijuana, well, 99% of people in prison on any marijuana-related charges also would have a weapon, also would have a long-storied history of criminal activity. We're also likely committing other criminal acts at the same time. It is nobody's first offense. Well, you're caught with a joint. Now you're going to jail for the next 10 years. That's not how the country works anymore. But the left would have you believe that it is. And they'd say that's why we need criminal justice reform because our criminal justice system is horribly, horribly racist. Whine, whine, whine. Moan, moan, moan. It's not true. Not true at all. Well, Whoopi Goldberg on The View yesterday was uh, taking up a quote from Mitch McConnell saying that maybe Ketanji Brown-Jackson might be a little bit soft on crime. Whoopi Goldberg's dog ears? She's the one who claims that it's a whistle. Dog ears pick up on something else, ladies and gentlemen. Something that might be, um, shall we say, nefarious, I suppose. Listen to Whoopi Goldberg talk about what she thinks Mitch McConnell was secretly talking about. I also wonder, because, you know, Mitch McConnell says her supporters look at her resume and deduce a special empathy for criminals. You know, I know you don't mean this, but that sounds like code. Yeah. She comes from it a sounds, law enforcement it, family. But it, it, it doesn't matter. Listen, she represented a lot of people. And that's the gig when you're a federal public That's what you're you supposed to I, do. I think what you were just hitting on is so them. important. It's code. And yeah, it's wait. code to tell you that she may be sympathetic to black people. It's code. It's code to tell you. It's soft-on crime. It's code. It's code for, code for, for soft-on black people. Wait a second, Whoopi. You're implying that Mitch McConnell is racist because he says that her record might lead somebody to believe that she's soft on crime. And when you hear crime, you think black people. But it's Mitch McConnell who's the racist. Because I don't know if you know about this or not, but people of all different colors commit crimes. John Sinclair that I told you about, he's a white dude. Yeah, he's as white as his name, John Sinclair, sounds like. Radical leftist, but a white dude. By the way, they got the laws changed and John Sinclair was released uh, from prison, but that's beside the point. Uh, when you hear something, and I'm reminded of the 2012 presidential race in the Republican side, when Newt Gingrich was talking about food stamps and welfare reform, and he made it very, he was, he was the guy on welfare reform when it was passed through Congress. It makes sense that he would talk about welfare reform. Well, when he talked about welfare reform, when he talked about food stamps, there was this big rush in the media. What did they do? What did they say? They said, this is code. This is code. This is racial code. Newt Gingrich is signaling a whole bunch of white people that code, 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 
that he's talking about black people. Well, never mind the fact that there are more white people on food stamps and welfare than there are any other race. That's beside the point. It's the problem if you hear welfare, if you hear food stamps, and you immediately think he's talking about black people. Maybe, just maybe, the problem is you. Maybe, just maybe, the racist is you. If hearing that is code for racist, then maybe you're the racist. Did you ever stop to think of that? If you hear dog whistles all the time, maybe you're the dog. That's basically what it boils down to. I would suspect heavily that if you're hearing dog whistles all the time, you're the dog. Not commenting on Whoopi Goldberg, the way she presents herself, and the way she looks in an oversized hooded sweatshirt where she gets dressed up to do national television. No, I'm not doing that. I'm just talking in general that if you hear the idea that somebody's talking, oh, they, they're soft on criminals, and you think, well, you mean it's code for he's soft on black people, then maybe the racial problem is with you, you think? This is, of course, true for the left in every aspect of life. And everywhere they go, everything they do, they hear dog whistles, they hear codes, they insist that uh, one thing or another is about things that it's not about. You can't just talk about it. And you wonder why it is that we don't speak to one another very often anymore. It's because the left is constantly accusing everybody else, not just the right, anybody else, of being wildly racist. Now, why would anybody want to talk to somebody like that? Why would anybody waste time talking to somebody like that? You sit there and you go, well, like, ah, what are you going to do today? I think I'm going to go talk to my neighbor who's a, a D-bag leftist so he can yell at me about how I'm wildly racist because I think that we should probably seal the border for a while. Oh, that sounds like a, sounds like a really good time. Doesn't it? Sounds like a blast. You can sit there and still, though, people watch The View. What's scary as hell is that people watch The View. And that The View is the source of news for so many people in this country. Not, you know, I don't know what the average, I, I would say that The View gets eh, probably 5 million viewers. Now, how many of those people hate watch it? I don't know. I'll try and look up later what the, the View's ratings are. But the problem is that there are more people who get their news from The View and View-like sources. Because you sit there and you go, well, The View, they're particularly stupid. Yes, they are. The sentiments, though, are presented in a slightly more intellectual way on the nightly newscasts. Lester Holt, David Muir, they're out there. Whoever does CBS News, I can't even know. I don't even know who does CBS News. I forget that CBS is a network. But whoever is doing that news, they sit there and they present the same sentiments, not using the same words, not using the same phraseology or terminology, but they do it in a more artful way as if they'd had an editor help them put it together. And the same sentiments are going out to tens of millions of Americans every single day. Just remember that when you sit there and go, well, Fox News is number one in cable news. Yes, it is. Number one in cable news. Congratulations. That and five bucks will get you a cup of coffee because, you know, five to ten times more people get their news from other places than Fox News. You think you're making headway as a conservative, and we are, but I just want to give you an idea of how much further we have to go, and it is, it is a long, 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 long way long way. Since we're kind of on the uh, topic of casual racism, 
It's unbelievable. The left just the damage that they do casually. They can you can you can decide for yourself whether they do it deliberately or they do it casually, whether it is the desired effect or if it is a side effect of who they are, the the absolute horrible damage they inflict on society. I honestly, I, I, it depends on the day. It depends on the person. If I sit there and I think, well, they're just dumb. They don't know any better. This is who they are. This is what they do. Or whether or not it's, they're doing this on purpose. They're trying to hurt this country. I suppose it also depends on the ways in which they do it and the, the impacts that it has. But the uh, one of the ways in which the left is ruining this country is by dividing people, by race, specifically explicitly by race, uh, gleefully by race. My God, they uh, it is hate whitey time with the left. And it's amazing to me because if you're, a, you're not Chinese, for example, and you like Chinese food, you're, the left will accuse you of cultural appropriation. I wrote in my book about a school, I forget which school it was, where they were complaining that in the cafeteria they'd have Chinese food night, but the people who were making it were not Chinese. What, like, what, what are you supposed to do? Keep various eth- crews of the different ethnicities? And on specific, well, where it's it's Prince Spaghetti Night. Okay, uh, Father Guido Sarducci, come on out here and uh, get uh, get to cooking. Is that the way you do? Because if, by the way, if you're not Italian and you made Italian food, you are you're just as guilty. My God, what kind of a monster are you? And the left also gets they accuse. By the way, the crew was Hispanic at the college. But uh, the left doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. They were not Asian. They should not be making Asian cuisine because it was not authentic, which I don't know if you've ever been to two Chinese restaurants in your life, but you can go to two different Chinese restaurants in a day, order the exact same thing, and they will have very little resemblance to one another, those dishes. Aside from the fact that they'll likely come with rice, they will have very little to do with it. I'm talking everything from... Uh, you know, Kung Pao chicken, which I love, to egg drop soup, which I also love. Egg drop soup, sometimes it's it's like radioactive yellow. And you're like, what the hell is this? It, tastes, it always tastes better when it's radioactive yellow. And then sometimes it's clear and it has a bunch of vegetables in it. And you're like, what in the hell is this? It's egg drop soup and it kind of vaguely tastes like egg drop soup, like the radioactive stuff, but not completely. It's just, it doesn't matter. It's wildly different from restaurant to restaurant. So if you're going, uh, this isn't really authentic. None of it is, first of all, because you're in the United States of America and not in China. Okay, if you if your Chinese food must be authentic, move to China. Problem solved. Otherwise, you're just going to have to deal with the fact that uh, you're going to have whatever it is. The person making it has decided is their version of Kung Pao chicken. That being said, they complained, and I think they stopped at the university, if I remember correctly, they stopped making ethnic food. The same, it's just unbelievable the way that the left's mind works, which it's also like a Kardashian, I forget which one, Vapid Kardashian, is that one of them, is one of their names, Vapid, should be. Vapid Kardashian had their hair in cornrows. You know, they braided their hair super tight and put it in cornrows. And the left, of course, the culture police went absolutely bonkers. She is culturally appropriating black culture. 
how I don't know. I don't know that. I, I guess I'm not up to date on the latest, greatest information when it comes to the history of hairstyles. I'll confess that I'm a little bit behind on my reading in my cultural sensitivity class. But uh, how, I don't know, because I don't, I don't know where braiding started. See, if you want to take this, and you have to take this to the absurd level to illustrate just how absurd, you don't really have to, to illustrate how absurd these leftists are because they're so damn stupid and absurd. But if you take it to the absurd level, it becomes crystal clear how dumb it is. Okay, who invented, which flavor of human being invented braiding? Can we verify that? Can we get, what if it was uh, some white European princess who invented hair braiding? Well, then cornrows, you can't have them. Doesn't matter. If cornrows were done first and foremost in Africa, it doesn't really matter because they are based on braiding and braiding was invented in Europe. You can take it to all sorts of absurd levels or you can just go, I don't give a damn. Let's all grow the hell up and get on with it. Well, the left doesn't allow you to do that. You can't joke about certain things. You can't laugh at certain things. You can't enjoy certain things. It's just simply not allowed anymore, according to our overlords on the left. That brings us to the mayor of Boston. The mayor of Boston is a woman named, let's see, where is her name? Michelle Wu. She was just elected last year. The big hoopla because she was the first Asian American elected mayor of Boston. Who cares? But the left cares. They act as though her skin color, her ethnicity is somehow an accomplishment. Like she had a say in it. Like she had, look at what I did. I, I made my I willed myself Asian. You show me a, a kid who wills themselves into an ethnicity for real, not a Rachel Dolezal thing, and then I'll think, well, that's a pretty good accomplishment. But otherwise, and not plastic surgery, not uh, there's some weirdo who's trying to make themselves look like a Barbie doll and has had like dozens of plastic surgery. I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking in general. You show me somebody who, like uh, Pinocchio, went to bed wishing they were a little boy, a real boy and woke up and they were a real boy. And I will congratulate them. Otherwise, it's just a whole bunch of left wing BS that you simply cannot end you cannot stop you cannot get away from you cannot escape and so you have the mayor of boston making what if you or i made a joke similar to this with a uh, different ethnicity at the br at the as the brunt of it is a wildly racist joke by the left standards i don't have a problem with it per se i have a problem with it because I hold her to the same standards she and her ilk would hold everybody else. These are the people who go to comedy clubs and go, wait a second, you're making fun of things. You're making jokes. Like, yeah, I am. That's the whole damn point. That's what comedy's supposed to be. So listen to this idiot. Make a joke about white firefighters and how whitey is the problem up in Boston. Over 100 days, we have connected unhoused residents at Mass and Cass to housing, treatment, and services. We've launched three free bus lines. We've taken some big, bold actions, but I won't lie, this past winter was pretty intense. Trial by snow, trial by fire, fighters union. I'm getting used to dealing with problems that are expensive, disruptive, and white. 
I'm talking about snowflakes. Snowflakes. I mean snowstorm snowflakes. <laughs> Get it? Yeah, those evil white firefighters. God, they're just the worst. They're racist. They're racist. Now, what if the firefighters went on strike? The city would go absolutely crazy. The mayor would lose her mind. If the firefighters adopted the left-wing belief system that you must... Uh, you can really only care about somebody or something if it affects somebody who looks like you and therefore white firefighters would only help white people and other different colors of firefighters would only help those different people. They would go absolutely berserk, as they should. But you can say, oh, look, the, the, the white firefighters union, they're causing me trouble. They're white. They're, are, are, where is the big push, by the way? Because firefighters are quote-unquote, in the left's vernacular, quote-unquote, disproportionately white. You ever notice that? It also seems to be generational. I don't understand it. Uh, but uh, firefighters and police officers, they tend to, uh, the kids of firefighters and police officers tend to want to emulate their dads in most cases. Whereas I never want, I love my dad and I admire him as a man and the way he conducts himself, but I never said I really want to drive a forklift. I don't know how to drive a forklift. I wouldn't mind driving a forklift if I was allowed to, like, destroy stuff. But I never really thought to go into my dad's profession. Never occurred to me. But for some reason, firefighters and uh, police officers largely are. And they're largely white. Now, imagine if... Now, the left tries to, oh, we need to hire, we need to hire, we need to do it with police, they don't get very many takers with firefighters. Maybe it's because you're running into fire uh, buildings that are on fire. And a lot of people go, I'm not really down with that. I don't know what the rationale is, but they've lowered standards to get more women in there. Don't worry. You don't have to drag a 200-pound sack of potatoes. You can grab a 100-pound sack of potatoes, and that will count as your physical fitness. Like, well, okay. So if you've come across a 200-pound man unconscious in a building, you tell him, you get on Weight Watchers and give me a call back. What could possibly go wrong? You call me back when you lose the weight. What could possibly go wrong? But the mayor, if this mayor were white, and you're talking about, I don't know, uh, any other group, not white people saying, well, we had a bit of a blackout last night. Uh, no, I'm talking about electricity, not the way that the uh, whatever union is uh, messing with it. And that union were majority black they would not be able to stop picketing unless and until that mayor was not only run out of office, but run out of town. But this is how the left works. They hold you to standards. You make a joke at work. You make a joke on social media. You made a joke. Forget about it. Made a, make a joke. You made a joke at work. You made a joke on social media a lifetime ago, before puberty, and they will find it. And they will come and get you, and they will go after you. There was a guy who was drafted by the NF or the NHL, not the NFL, the NHL white guy, who had, uh, you know, everybody kind of has their enemies when they're kids, their nemesis, whatever. Well, this kid's nemesis was a black kid, and the kid was white. He was drafted by the Phoenix Coyotes, I believe, and because the loser kid who he had gotten into fights with when he was, you know, 14 years old. Because that loser kid had never gotten over it, he dogged this guy who was drafted by the NHL and 
publicized. Oh, he picked on me because I was black. Because I was now I think it might be because you're a jerk who becomes obsessive and tries to ruin people, but that's beside that's just me. To the point that the guy was drummed out of the NHL before he ever got a chance to play in the NHL. His draft pick was revoked, was rescinded. The Phoenix Coyotes washed their hands of him because some jackass he allegedly picked on or got into a fight with whatever it was when he was 14 years old came out and said he only did this because of my skin color no proof needed no proof required the allegation is all that matters to these leftists so then why is it that mayor Wu can go up there and talk about all oh, the all my problems are white. All my exes live in Texas, and all of my problems are white. And everybody just kind of go ha ha ha, and she says, "No, no, no, I'm just, I'm just joking. I'm just joking." Yeah. Try to joke about anything on a college campus. Try to joke about anything at a progressive gathering, except about how hard it is maybe to to tuck it back if you're trans. And then uh, then the audience will be able to laugh with you because they'll all fully understand. And then you begin to see the hypocrisy, the hypocrisy of these leftists. I'm not saying that Michelle Wu is a racist. I'm saying that by standards that the Democrats set, Michelle Wu is a racist. Will she apologize? Will she be forced to apologize? Will she be asked about it? Will this register at all? I highly doubt it. She's a victim. Why? Because she's a woman and she's Asian. And they're allowed to, she's allowed, therefore, to, to lash out at people, her oppressors, presumably. She's so oppressed, she was oppressed right into the mayor's job. Would that we were all so oppressed, isn't it? You see all these leftists, these, these ladies on The View, talking about how awful and racist this country is. Oh my goodness, is this country horribly racist? Well, you, Whoopi Goldberg, have no discernible talents or skills, at least anything that you've demonstrated in the past uh, 30 years, since Ghost. And you're making millions of dollars a year. If that is oppression, pass it this way, please. I'll take a big hand. Pass the duchy on the left-hand side. I will take a big, deep hit off of that type of oppression otherwise maybe you're just using it as a marketing gimmick maybe you're just using it as a cudgel maybe you're just making it up as you go along because it's what sells with a very select bit of the american public the stupid and you'll never go broke underestimating the stupidity of the american public as pt barnum once said uh, in other news, though, I want to play you a clip from Ginger Goebbels because this illustrates how the left thinks. There's something called Title 42. It involves sealing the border, restricting access to the United States in times of pandemic. The president, uh, the administration of Donald Trump invoked Title 42. It makes sense. It makes sense, doesn't it? If there's time of disease, you don't want, uh, you want to be able to quickly de deport people if there's a disease going around that is likely being brought in across the southern border in large part. Uh, so you want to get those people out of here when they're coming in illegally, right? Makes perfect sense. Well, the left hates it. 
The left absolutely hates it. They have been calling it racist since it was first invoked. Because why? Because they don't give a damn about anything except getting people into this country. They don't care how they do it. They don't care the consequences of doing it. If it costs some Americans their lives, all the better, because they will have more Democrat voters coming in across the border. You're already replaced. I know. The left goes, oh, you're not supposed to say that. That's racist. No, doesn't matter. They don't care if Hispanics die. They don't care if black Americans die. If they're conservative and they die, uh, all the better for them. Democrats only care about winning. They only care about their own power. And Title 42 in the protection of American citizens from disease, from what we are told and we have been told for the past two years is a plague on humanity that must uproot your life completely, just apparently not the lives of these sweet, sweet, nourishing illegal aliens. They walked so far. Yes, they're a threat, but who cares? Let them in. Don't mind those neck tattoos swearing allegiance to MS-13. They're the salt of the earth. They're better than you are. They're better than you are. Yeah, forget the fact that, you know, they have a higher propensity of those gang members of raping young children. That's beside the point. They're, uh, the left always tells you what? The illegal aliens commit fewer crimes than you do. Uh, well, in raw numbers, sure, there's a lot more of us than them, at least as of now. But I would say that in beheadings, beheadings over drug turf, I would go ahead and put my money on MS-13. That's just me. That would be where I would put the smart money. Anyway, the idea that uh, Title 42 is still in place irks the left. There was a protest in Washington yesterday out in front of the White House demanding that it be revoked, that it be rescinded, that the borders that are already wide open be opened even wider somehow because the left simply doesn't give a damn about anything other than their political agenda. And Ginger Goebbels was asked about this. Here's the exchange. It's been two years since President Trump implemented Title 42. There are protests outside the White House today. Democrats are not actively calling for it to end. COVID cases are low. Is the administration at least preparing for the possibility that this could end, and how so? Sure. There are timelines, including, I think, upcoming in April, on when it's continues to be reconsidered. And those discussions happen among the health experts from the CDC uh, and other uh, other medical experts within the administration. And you always have to prepare because if they'd make that decision, there would be an implementation that uh, would be in part led by the Department of Homeland Security and others uh, that you have to plan for. Now, do you notice that the reporter didn't bother to talk about the merits or anything? It's, uh, Democrats. Democrats are calling for this to be done. Democrats are calling for this. Well, okay, are there any dissenting voices at all? Why are you asking a question based on what Democrats want? Well, you're asking a question based on what Democrats want because she's a Democrat. She's a Democrat. They're all Democrats out there going, oh, well, Democrats. Um, sources say, critics say, they always use those terminology. You can just say, you can replace that every time you hear it in your head with uh, my fellow liberals, my fellow Democrats. Democrats are saying, I, I believe this. All the stories that were critical of Trump, sort of critics, critics say everything that was positive about Republicans in any way, shape, or form, as it's reported, it's always couched with what critics are saying. This, they don't really often name the critics. Curiously, that's what's the weirdest part. 
If all these critics are saying it, it should be pretty easy to name the critics, shouldn't it? Yet they don't, because they can't say my colleague in the newsroom. They can't say my, my friend who sits at the desk next to me. Every once in a while they do, and they're sort of getting more and more bold, which uh, lets you know how far journalism has fallen. There's a guy named Matt Fuller. He is a politics reporter at the Daily Beast. He tweeted out this morning, or yesterday, quote, Today is a good day to remember that Christine Blase Ford credibly claimed that Brett Kavanaugh sexually assaulted her, accurately recalled who he was hanging out with, passed an FBI polygraph, and provided notes from her therapist about the assault, and Republicans didn't care. Now, he's a reporter, ladies and gentlemen. He's a reporter in good standing. He fails to mention that Christine Blase Ford was caught in several lies. He fails to uh, acknowledge that Christine Blase Ford's best friend at the time, who she says was with her at the party, says she was not. There was no such party that she ever remembers. There's no human being on the face of the earth, aside from her, who can say, who will say, who even speculates that Christine Blase Ford met Brett Kavanaugh. He ignores the fact that she can't remember what, forget what month, she can't remember what year it happened. And there is nobody out there who says it happened, who says anything similar, any even similar party, not the event, happened. Also, her best friend at the time was pressured by left-wing activist groups to change her story, to back up Christine Blase Ford. This is publicly known at the time. The activist groups who were funding Blase Ford have admitted as such. It doesn't matter that they tried to coerce, <coughs> dare I say, perjury, which used to be a crime in this country. I guess it's not, again, it depends on who you are and what you, what you did. Um, but no, none of that matters. He cherry picks his information. He doesn't even cherry pick it very well, very effectively. And uh, to say Republicans didn't care, Republicans delayed the vote. Republicans authorized an FBI investigation into it. The FBI came back with nothing, nothing whatsoever after talking to everybody allegedly directly involved. That seems like kind of an important bit of information that you should have included in there, Matt Fuller, but he didn't because that's not journalism anymore. So when you hear sources say, and sources are saying, and people say, and uh, Democrats are mad, that's why you're getting it. Because pretty much everybody in the media is a Democrat. Pretty much everybody out there is a leftist. Which means really the only news you can sort of believe and take without a grain of salt a pound of salt without a giant salt lick, is news about Democrats that is negative. And there is a little bit of that today, to be perfectly honest with you. There is a new book coming out by two, two reporters for the New York Times. Politico wrote it up. Politico playbook. Uh, Friction between Harris and Biden camps revealed in new books. Ooh. The White House has worked hard to project a united front between President Joe Biden and VP Kamala Harris in their respective and their respective teams. But the upcoming book, This Will Not Pass, colon, Trump, Biden, and the Battle for America's Future. 
New York Times' Jonathan Martin and Alex Burns reveal some frustrations at the highest echelons of the White House between the Biden and Harris camps, as well as the VP's angst over the policy portfolio she was given. Seems like Kamala Harris does really nothing but complain. It's about the only thing she does remotely well. Harris's allies complained throughout the first year that the administration was that she was handled or handed an impossible portfolio. According to the book, Kate Bedingfield, Biden's comms director, not only grew tired of the criticism that the White House was mismanaging Harris, she blamed the VP for it. Quote, in private, Bedingfield had taken to noting that the vice presidency was not the first time in Harris's political career that she had fallen short of sky-high expectations. Her Senate office had been messy, and her presidential campaign had been a fiasco. Perhaps, she suggested, (coughs) excuse me, the problem was not the vice president's staff. Martin and Burns write, perhaps the problem was the vice president herself. When there is, this goes... uh, to one of my rules of life. Always look for the common denominator. If you have a friend who goes, everybody, I, oh, the, if they talk about everybody they've ever dated is crazy or a jerk or an a-hole or whatever it is, they always, everybody who's single for extended periods of time has an excuse as to why. And it's always somebody else. But there's a common denominator. Oh, I'm always dating jerks. Well, maybe the problem is you. You're not, you're not attracting jerks. Maybe you're attracted to jerks. Maybe, just maybe, you're the jerk. If everywhere you work, you are highly ineffective, and let's not kid ourselves, that's what Kamala Harris was when she was a United States senator. She was highly, highly ineffective. She had no legislative accomplishments whatsoever, and the only thing she ever became known for was being a complete jackass to report to uh, witnesses at congressional hearings by interrupting them and badgering them. That was all she was known for. It was always taught as, ooh, that's the prosecutor in her. The prosecutor in her is coming out. No, you can be a prosecutor and not be a jerk. She was just being a jerk. If that's all you got, then maybe you don't have a whole lot. When your presidential campaign was such a failure that even the harping on the historic moment in it and playing up the race card, which Democrats absolutely love, caused you to not be able to raise enough money to make it past early December, a month before any votes were cast, you had to drop out. Maybe the problem is you. Maybe you're given the southern border and the failures of your actions on the southern border. Maybe they're your fault. You can say it's a thankless job, but if you went out and took the lead and recommended, hey, we need to seal the border, or hey, we need to do something, then you'd have some room to grouse if the Biden administration didn't actually take your recommendations. If all you do is go down there and have photo ops and come back and go, well, that's it. Now I'm going to Europe because I've never been there either. Again, the problem is you. The common denominator is usually the problem. And in this case, it's always Kamala Harris. There is Stormy Daniels news out there, too, by the way. (laughs) I love this story. Everybody involved... Think what you will of Donald Trump. He's certainly not perfect, but he was a pretty damn good president. Uh, He's the president for the time that we needed, and he did almost everything that needed to be done. But the people who have gone after him, 
have have just <laughs> their their asses handed to them in so many different ways. Michael Avenatti. Michael. This deals with Michael Avenatti. Michael Avenatti, who was also involved in the the, the uh, Blase Ford hearings with Julie Swetnick. Remember? Oh, they ran gang rape parties that I attended many of. Like, why the hell would you go to many gang rape parties? Like, okay, I can see you might get duped into one gang rape party. But then you don't go, well, I'm going back to that gang rape party because, you know, the punch was delicious. Just just seems highly unlikely. Seems dubious. Of course, Michael Avenatti sitting in jail, being accused of ripping off grandmas and other people, including he was ripping off, uh, convicted of ripping off Stormy Daniels. She, he apparently took her book advance and uh, didn't give it to her. And now she's in the news because these two deserve each other. New York Post story porn star stormy daniels has promised to defy a court ruling ordering her to pay nearly three hundred thousand dollars in former president donald trump's attorney's fees over her failed defamation lawsuit now the defamation lawsuit was under the guise of she claimed to have had sex with donald trump and he said no i didn't she's crazy and oh how dare you say those sorts of things (sighs) daniels 43 whose real name is stephanie clifford tweeted Monday that she won't honor Friday's federal appeals court ruling that likely ends the legal feud between her and Trump, stemming from an alleged sexual encounter between the two in 2006. I don't know whether or not Donald Trump had sex with her. wouldn't surprise me. I just don't care. But uh, then he paid her, allegedly, to keep quiet, and she didn't keep quiet, so she loses. Uh, I will go to jail before I pay a penny, the adult film star pledged. She just seems like a lovely person. Trump, who has repeatedly denied having sex with Daniel, celebrated the ruling in a statement Monday night. Quote, as I have stated many times throughout the years, I never had an affair with Stormy Daniels, nor would I ever have wanted to. The ruling was a total and complete victory and vindication for me. Okay. He won. He's right. The 45th president blasted Daniels' litigation as purely a political stunt while praising his attorneys for bringing the matter to a successful end. Now, <clears throat> there's a lot of pictures of sad Stormy. She's very sad. Um, but she's always standing in the, all the pictures that they use. She's standing next to Michael Avenatti. So Stormy Daniels was at a bit of a disadvantage because her attorney throughout most of this case is currently in jail for ripping her off. <laughs> just You just can't catch a break. It's a shame. I love how all these people who go after Trump end up on their butts, on their asses, going, I don't... Uh, what happened? What happened? Well, you lie down with dogs. All right? You lie down with dogs. Guess what happens when you lie down with dogs? You get fleas. You get fleas. Couldn't happen to the nice... Although I doubt this is the worst parasite or little crabby things that Stormy's ever had. Since we are in the midst of a uh, congressional hearing, a Judiciary Committee hearing, a confirmation hearing for Katanji Brown Jackson, I can't remember the. It just seems like Jackson Brown because of Jackson Brown the singer, right? Am I, I'm not the only one who every time you want to say it, you want to go Katanji Jackson Brown, right? Doctor, my eyes have maybe no, whatever. Anyway, uh, she's up there on Capitol Hill today. It's the first day of actual questioning. Now, I'm a cynic, as I've already said, and I'm wildly cynical about pretty much everything. There will be nothing of use 
out of any of this. No Republican's really going to go all that hard after her. And uh, she's not going to slip up. No Democrat. The only thing that will be embarrassing to come out of this hearing is the extent to which any given Democrat puckers up and plants one on her butt. That's it. They know they've got to slow walk this. They've got to be careful. Democrats can't get ahead of themselves. And they'll get what they want. They'll get her on the Supreme Court, plain and simple. So uh, it, the real investigation, is she's not going to slip up and go, you know what, uh, I really think that uh, child pornography should not be a crime. She's just not going to do it. There might be something somewhere where the investigators behind the scenes discover she told somebody, you know what, I don't think child pornography is that big. I doubt that. There might be something else, maybe, but I don't think anybody, I don't think you get to that point in life harboring those sorts of feelings. But I'm just using that as an example. That being said, like I said, the uh, the investigation will be what turns up anything if there is anything to turn up. Until then, it's just kabuki theater. It's not that long. It's going to be uh, today, tomorrow, and then on uh, the last day, the fourth day, is going to be character witnesses. And the Republicans are going to ask her tough questions, but they'll be respectful. I don't think they should bother voting on her. I think they should just uh, vote present and give Democrats a confusion. They won't vote for her, but they didn't vote against her. All the fundraising plans that were set for them voting against them will be confusing. But uh, that's just me. Still, you have this uh, hearing going on where... One of the undercurrents, one of the sub-headlines is Josh Hawley's going to go after her about child pornography and the sentencing that she did or didn't do against people who are convicted, convicted, mind you, of peddling or possessing child pornography. So today... The most appropriately named man in the United States Senate, Dick Durbin. And I'm telling you, if you ever catch Dick Durbin out on the floor of the Senate on C-SPAN, if you ever find yourself unable to sleep, put on C-SPAN. And uh, you'll, if you see a Dick Durbin speech or just look it up if you want to check my work. The cameras for C-SPAN in the United States Senate, same in the House of Representatives, are about 30 feet off the ground. The walls to uh, the well of the Senate, the actual floor of the Senate, is surrounded by walls, and around it is the gallery where the public can sit. The gallery is probably 10 or 15 feet up, so you can't just jump down. So there is a separation. And then the cameras for the C-SPAN people are probably another on a stick, on a pole, probably another 10 or 15 feet up there. So they're good 25 to 30 feet up in the air. Which means when you watch Dick Durbin speak, you will see him staring directly into the camera. It won't seem weird because everybody you see normally talking to a can talking like that politician is speaking directly to a camera. But then you have to recognize that you kind of have to crane your head to speak into that camera. And he's also not addressing the camera per se, he is referring to his fellow members of the United States Senate. Now, he's not the only one who does this. He's just the pioneer. He did this first, did this most, 
and now other people have picked up on it. So when they're talking to each other, they're not looking at each other. They're looking 30 feet in the air off in the distance going, oh, my goodness, uh, my good friend here, let me ask you a question. And you're, you're staring off into space like, is that a rocket? Is that a meteor coming? What is that? Is that a plane? It's weird. <clears throat> well, Dick Durbin was, can you say questioning Katanji Brown Jackson? I don't think you can. Um, but he brought up the uh, child pornography and the allegations from Senator Howley. Here's his sort of question. Let me address another issue that came up yesterday in the opening phase of this uh, nomination hearing. Uh, and it's the issue involving child pornography. I want to turn to that issue because it was raised multiple times, primarily by the senator from Missouri. And it was he was questioning your sentencing record in child pornography cases uh, that do not involve the production of pornographic material. They're known as non-production cases. I wanted to put some context here. The senator from Missouri has in his tweets said of your position on this issue, Judge Jackson has a pattern of letting child porn offenders off the hook for their appalling crimes, both as a judge and a policymaker. She's been advocating it since law school. This goes beyond soft on crime, the senator said. I'm concerned this is a record that endangers our children. I thought about his charges as I watched you and your family listening carefully yesterday and what impact it might have had on you personally to know that your daughters, husband, parents, family, and friends were hearing the charges that your implementation of this law, sentencing, endangered children. Yeah, you can tell. Dick Durbin lost sleep over that. This is just, uh, it goes on and on and on. I just wanted to use this to illustrate the disingenuousness of this entire thing. Oh, she, she, she did sentence child porn convicts to lighter sentences than the sentencing guidelines suggested and lighter sentences than the prosecutors wanted. People who would know more about the case than anybody else. She did. She did on seven different occasions in her short stint as a judge sentence those people to lighter sentences. And Dick Durbin's sitting there going, well, I just, uh, I thought about your family and your daughter sitting there. I don't know that she has a daughter, but uh, your daughter's sitting there going, oh my goodness, uh, horrible, horrible things they're saying about my mommy. <clears throat> you smash cut to, what, three, four years ago when Dick Durbin was up there screaming that Brett Kavanaugh was a rapist and a monster who should not be uh, allowed in any courtroom except as a defendant in front of Brett Kavanaugh's children. Do you think Do you think Dick Durbin really lost sleep over what he's saying there? No. Dick Durbin has no conscience. Dick Durbin has no soul. Dick Durbin is every bit the hypocritical monster you'd expect a politician, a career politician to be. He's so wildly disingenuous. Such a complete fraud. To sit there and go, oh, I thought about your mother and your children. What about Brett Kavanaugh's family? When based on nothing but the word of a liberal activist college professor, you accused him of attempted rape. In the face of all the evidence to the contrary, not just no one being able to prove Blase Ford, but all the people saying, no, this did not happen. 
you still persisted and persist to this day. And you sit there and you go, I just don't understand why anybody would say things that are mean about you in front of your family, Judge Judge Brown, Judge Jackson. It's just horrible. It's awful. Like I say, Dick Durbin is the most appropriately named man in the United States Senate. It's like his parents knew. It's like his parents knew. Now, for her part, Katanji Brown Jackson, I almost did the Jackson Brown thing in. Katanji Brown Jackson did address the uh, light sentences that she gave, and there's no doubt she gave light sentences to people convicted of possession of child pornography. She tries to explain it. You can decide for yourself whether or not this is a satisfactory answer. As you said, the guideline was based originally on uh, a, a statutory scheme and on directives, specific directives by Congress at a time in which more serious child pornography offenders were identified based on the volume, based on the number of photographs that they received in the mail. And that made totally total sense before when we didn't have the internet, when we didn't have distribution. But the way that the guideline is now structured based on that set of circumstances is leading to extreme disparities in the system because it's so easy for people to get volumes of this kind of material now by computers. So it's not doing the work of differentiating who is a more serious offender in the way that it used to. So the commission has taken that into account and, and perhaps even more importantly, courts are adjusting their sentences in order to account for the changed circumstances. But it says nothing about the court's view of the seriousness of this offense. She seems to be arguing that sentencing guidelines should change or have changed or her sentencing guidelines, her, what, what, what she followed depended on the quantity of the child pornography that the person had on their possession, on their computer, whatever it was, and that the old guidelines were set out at a time when apparently you used to have to mail people child pornography, you know, physically send it through the mail. And uh, now that the Internet exists, people should be looked at differently somehow because... You can get it so easily and you can get so much of it so easily. So if somebody had 200 sickening photographs at a time when they had to be mailed to you, that was somehow worse because of the calories you had to spend in doing so compared to somebody who has a thousand photographs from online. I don't know how that makes any sense. It's... The number of, you know, it's the number of offenses, not the method by which the offense, like, oh, it's so much easier to offend now. Okay, well, if somebody has a bunch of digital photographs of sickening, disgusting things, um, I think they, if they, I think that they would go through the links to which, whatever link they had to go to, in order to obtain them if it was through the mail, right? Like, oh, no, it's, uh, I only did it. I only got a whole bunch of child pornography because it was readily available on the internet. So therefore, give me a lighter sentence is not a defense. 
it's that you yeah you had a lower easier bar to entry but you still entered you still did it you sick bastard you're still should be rotting the rest of your life in prison period end of story i don't care how you got it whether you got it through licking a stamp or you got it through uh, somebody emailing it to you or you finding it worse you found it you you actively sat down and decided i'm going to do deep searches on the internet and try to find this stuff whatever it was however it got into your possession it got into your possession it's like saying well yes he is a serial killer but he did it in a way that, you know, the, the availability of guns these days. Back in the day when this other serial killer was doing it, he was using knives. And you had to really get up close and personal. And, you know, you couldn't do as many people as you could. He only killed 10 people. Whereas this other person killed 40 people because he had access to guns. And therefore, this one should be treated worse than the other one. No, they're both murderers. Okay, I don't care that what their chosen method of murder is. I don't care what their chosen method of perversion is. They are perverts. They are into child pornography. We as a society have rightly determined that to be a line you shall not cross. And if you cross it, you have to pay a societal price. You should. I think it's I think any sort of idea that these people would ever see the light of day is too easy on them. But that's just me. So you sit there and you let these people get away with it or get off easy because it was so easy for them to rob. If you robbed a, a liquor store and you did so with, at gunpoint, are you sentenced more harshly than if you did so because the cash register was opened and the person left, went to the bathroom really quick and you just decided to dip your hand? Is there really that much of a do you, The end result is you robbed the liquor store. Should you say, well, no, no, no. I, what I did was not really robbing. It was, they're basically dangling it in front of me. If the liquor store didn't want to get robbed, it shouldn't have worn such a short skirt. It's kind of what they're saying. If, if we don't want perverts to have access to child pornography then we shouldn't have the internet maybe i'm oversimplifying it but that sure as hell what it kind of sounds like from katanji brown jackson here it doesn't make any sense to me it's not good enough for me but then again i'm a conservative she was never going to really appeal to me in any way shape or form what matters is the rest of the country actually that doesn't even matter either Democrats are still going to ram her through. They don't give a damn. But it is nice to know this information about somebody who's going to be the next Supreme Court justice, don't you think? Democrats trying to downplay it kind of let you know what their priorities are. None of their priorities are you. Speaking of uh, worthless Democrats, I literally just got an email from Chris Van Hollen, senator here, one of the senators here in, uh, in Maryland. He's up for re-election this year, so he cares very deeply about everything that's going on. He doesn't really give much of a damn beforehand, but he cares very deeply now. And as such, he is prepared to take the fight to those dastardly, dastardly, evil, evil, evil Republicans. And so the email from Chris Van Hollen reads, <clears throat> and it's about uh, the uh, Katanji Brown Jackson hearings. Friend... Now more than ever, Americans need a Supreme Court that will uphold the promise enshrined above its door. Equal justice under law. <laughs> uh, 
Judge Katanzi, Katanji Brown Jackson's record and experience demonstrate her deep commitment to making that promise real for everyone. In fact, her outstanding qualifications, integrity, and approach to the law earned her bipartisan support in prior Senate confirmations, including one just last year. Yeah, a whole bunch of people got uh, bipartisan support up until the point that they were up for nomination to the Supreme Court. And then Democrats said, oh, wait a second. This guy I voted for last year is Hitler. I just discovered that this guy is Hitler. Holy cow, what's going on? <laughs> it's weird how that works, isn't it? But what he doesn't, what's weird is what, um, what Chris Van Hollen doesn't do is like defend her record in anywhere in this email doesn't try to lay out her, no here's the defense how dare they no he, he attacks the uh the critics in fact her uh let's see that's why it's reprehensible that's what's why because her uh, outstanding qualifications integrity and approach to the law Okay, well, then you should be able to lay out those cases, should you not? I would think that if you, if I think that, look, uh, I, if I'm trying to set you up with a friend of mine and I'm trying to sell you on a friend, look, you, you know, he's a good guy, you know, I, I could make a case for a friend of mine why you should go out with him. None of it would be, don't listen to his ex-girlfriends. It will tell you that he's nothing but uh, somebody who's going to punch you in the nose all the time. Look, he is not. All of his exes are crazy. All of them are evil. All of them are bad. All of them are just, they're the problems. They're nuts and they're ugly and they smell and uh, they're stupid. And, uh, you know, all they, they agreed to go out with him. And then like a couple months later, suddenly he was a monster just because he uh, wasn't returning their phone calls and was out with other chicks. I don't get it, man. Probably wouldn't be a very good sales job on my friend. But if I had real things, good things to say about my friend, I could say, you know what, he's a good guy. He works hard. He's very smart. Oh, man, is he funny? Is he this? Is he that? It's the other thing. I could make that case pretty easily. You'd think these Democrats would be able to make the case for Katanji Brown Jackson. Instead, they don't try. They attack the attackers. They criticize the critics. I mean, it's a tactic. It's a tactic. But if you really, they're counting on she's black, they're racist. That's what they want. Look, she's black, they're racist. What do you expect? She's black, they're racist. That's the underpinning of everything that they want people to come away with. She's black, they're racist. They can't come right out and say that, at least not yet. They probably will by the time this is all over. But they, they, she's black, they're racist. Uh, so they can't defend or don't want to defend. I suppose they probably could defend. She did a... I, I'm not convinced. I I look at it, I think she believes that, but I also think I don't care. I think she's wrong. But she at least offered up a defense of her light sentencing of child uh, pornography aficionados. It's a defense. Democrats should be able to offer up some kind of defense for that. They just don't, probably because it's not a very good look. And see, that's, uh, that's why it's reprehensible that Republicans like Josh Hawley and others are reportedly gearing up to lob out-of-context, outlandish attacks against Judge Jackson's record, likely in hopes of raising their profiles before the rapidly approaching GOP presidential primary season. How? What? Huh? 
Well, what are these attacks? He doesn't say, weirdly. It's so bizarre how these people never... All these horrible attacks from these horrible Republicans. A normal person would read that and go, well, what are they? What are they? Tell me what they are, and then you shoot them down. Instead, none of that. None of that whatsoever. These confirmation hearings are an important moment for the American people to get to know J the Judge Jackson I know. Yeah, they, they hang out. They're pals. <laughs> they're, they're pals. Chris Van Hollen and Ketanji Brown Jackson, they, they are uh, always partners in the Washington, D.C. three-legged race. They're just super close friends. <sighs> People get to know the Judge Jackson I know and voted to confirm last year. She deserves a fair process that treats her with the respect she and the country deserves. You go back to Chris Van Hollen, you go back to any one of these airheaded Democratic piles of excrement, and you look at what they did during the Kavanaugh hearings. That was it. That was enough. He was accused credibly of this, that, and the other thing. And therefore, he does not belong on the Supreme Court. He's a monster. and He belongs in prison, is what he does. Yeah, Chris Van Hollen was one of them. Chris Van Hollen was right on board with everybody else. And now Chris Van Hollen says enough is enough. He writes, enough political games and enough grandstanding. Americans trust in this process and our highest court is at a historic low. It's nowhere near the lack of trust for Congress, Chrissy. Nowhere near that. And for good reason. Let's start turning that around this week. If you agree, will you please add your name to demand each U.S. senator give Ketanji Brown-Jackson a fair and professional confirmation process that she and the American people deserve? And there's a link. You're like, oh, my goodness. You mean I can have an impact on how Congress conducts its business? No, you can't. It's garbage. Because the second you click on the link, you go, oh, hey, I support this. Go ahead and click Submit. Add my name to this worthless petition. And your name is supposedly added to this worthless petition that will be presented to nobody and nothing. And then it goes right to a fundraising page where you are asked to give money to reelect Chris Van Hollen. And he cares very deeply. This is something that's keeping me up at night. I'm afraid that people are saying mean things about Katanji. Brown Jackson, she's not the judge. That's not the judge I know. Will you add your name? Oh, by the way, while you're here, in order to complete your submission of your name, you have to give me at least five bucks. Eh? Is that fair? Is that good? These people are such frauds. It's so transparent. It's so obvious that anybody falls for this. That Chris Van Hollen will win re-election is a testament to just how sad things are here in Maryland. That he will raise millions of dollars in the process for whatever reason, why, why, Who, who's going to run against you now that uh, Governor Hogan said, I'm not going to run because I want to be president, like delusional bastard, the only guy who could have given him a run for his money, um, you got nothing, Chris, you've got no reason to suck up to donors, you've got no reason to con people, he sent out this email to everybody who's ever emailed him. Anybody who's ever been involved remotely, tangentially, been to an event, whatever, if you, any Democrat, he bought your email list. People who make very little money, retirees on fixed incomes, he's begging them for money. This rich guy is begging us for money. 
in the name of justice, and he'll win with 60 to 70% of the vote. But he doesn't care. He has no conscience. None of these leftists have conscience because they're bad people. Did I mention they're bad people? Because I meant to mention they were bad people. I didn't want to imply that they weren't bad people because they're, they're the worst, seriously. While well, we set aside the idiots up on Capitol Hill for the rest of the program, we cannot set aside the idiots at the other end of Washington, D.C., at the other end of Pennsylvania Avenue, for those of you who know your geography in Washington, D.C. Speaking, of course, of the president and the vice president, I want to play you this one clip of Kamala Harris. I don't know what the hell she's trying to talk about. I don't think she knows what the hell she's trying to say. Um... <laughs> It's about the passage of time. And uh, yeah, you figure it out. You figure it out. Good luck to you. The governor and I, and we were all um, doing a tour of the library here and um, talking about the significance of the passage of time, right? The significance of the passage of time. So when you think about it, there is great significance to the passage of time in terms of what we need to do to lay these wires, what we need to do to create these jobs. And there is such great significance to the passage of time when we think about a day in the life of our children. What? What in the hell is she? Now, I'll play it because I cut it together. But... It just it made me think that she was in some other sort of dimension based not on sight of the sound. The governor and I and we were all um, doing a tour of the library here and um, talking about the significance of the passage of time. Right. The significance of the passage of time. So when you think about it, there is great significance to the passage of time in terms of what we need to do to lay these wires, what we need to do to create these jobs. And there is such great significance to the passage of time when we think about a day in the life of our children. Mm, Yeah, okay. Okay, weirdo. Why doesn't anybody take her seriously? Because when she's off teleprompter, she says stuff like that. Or uh, a friend in need is a friend indeed when asked a question, hoping that the Polish president will answer. Asked a domestic politics question in hopes that the Polish president will answer. But she's not the the densest, dumbest, however you prefer to put it, uh, member of this administration. That crown rests on the head at the top. Yesterday at a speech, Joe Biden talked about how we needed a new world order. Swear to God, we need a new world order and he needs to lead it. The world, we need to lead it, but he means him. Maybe he thinks, you know, maybe somebody should say, hey, 1990 called and they want their foreign policy back. Because this is an old George W. Bush thing. that We were told, oh, it's just a myth. It's just a lie. You're paranoid. It's a conspiracy theory. Yet here's the president of the United States saying exactly that inflection point i believe in you know we are at an inflection point i believe in the world economy not just the world economy in the world it occurs every three or four generations as one of as the uh, one of the top military people said to me in a secure meeting the other day 60 60 million people died between 1900 and 1946 and uh, since then, we established a liberal world order, and that hadn't happened in a long while. A lot of people dying, but nowhere near the chaos. 
And now is a time when things are shifting. We're going to there's going to be a new world order out there. And we've got to lead it. And we've got to unite the rest of the free world in doing it. So anyway. So anyway, uh, just a, an, an interesting historical note there for our senile, idiotic president of the United States. Uh, Joseph Stalin, who was definitively in power after 1946, uh, was responsible for about, uh, depending on estimates, between 20 and 40 million dead. Mao Zedong, who did not obtain power until after World War II, is responsible for, uh, rough estimates put it at about 50 million deaths. So if 60 million people died from 1900 to 1946, I would just say, based on those forgetting, you know, the killing fields in Cambodia, forgetting all of history's great monsters that uh, the left likes to pretend weren't theirs but were, uh, more people were killed in the second half of the century by government, by progressivism in all its forms than in the first half of the century by war. Just saying, Joe, you were there. You'd think you might remember those sorts of things, but I guess not. And now to show just how how much decline Joe Biden has done. He's reading in this next clip. He is reading about a cyber attack that he says is coming from Russia, a Russian cyber attack. And if you see the video, it's even more glaring, but he doesn't seem to, it doesn't bother him at all what he's saying. You can hear it in the audio. If you get a chance, check out in my Twitter feed the video. It's somewhere in there near the top. He doesn't give a damn. He is unaffected by what he's, what he's saying, and it's because he's not saying it. He's reading it. Keep that in mind as you listen to this clip, that this is the president of the United States repeating words on a piece of paper handed to him by staff, but the words that he's saying should anger, horrify, whatever, however you choose to look at it, should anger or horrify the person occupying the office of president of the United States, but the man currently sitting there is unaffected, seemingly doesn't even notice these words, which is more terrifying than the prospect of a cyber attack. But uh, look, today my administration is issuing new warnings that based on evolving intelligence, Russia may be planning a cyber attack against us. And as I said, the magnitude of Russia's cyber capacity is fairly consequential, and it's coming. The federal government is doing its part to get ready. But under U.S. law, as you all remember, the private sector, all of you, largely decides the protections that is, you will or will not take. <laughs> it's coming. A cyber attack by Russia is coming. But it doesn't register with him. He doesn't change it. He doesn't say, and we will stop it. I am outraged by this. We are prepared and we shall counter it. It's just reading. Literally, his face is looking down. You don't see his, his vacant eyes at all throughout it. He just says... Well, uh, we know that uh, Russia, for example, is considering a cyber attack. It's uh, it's coming. And uh, largely the people in this room, the private sector, will decide how or what or whatever happens. from. Really? You're president of the United States and this is how you're going to go? Uh, hey, um, we're going to get a cyber attack. Our experts tell us it's going to be a cyber attack. And I tell you, we're going to do everything we can. We're going to move heaven and earth to make sure that it doesn't happen. And if it does happen, we will strike back, and we will strike back harshly. We will make the people who do it pay, plain and simple. None of that. 
because it doesn't register with him. He's not there. Physically, they trot him out. And occasionally, they let him ride his bike at the beach, and you say, oh, God, okay, he's got some energy. But in general, he is an empty suit and a 3 by 5 card. That's the Biden presidency in a nutshell. Scary, scary proposition that this guy, oh, don't worry, he'll, he'll handle those Russians. <laughs> God help us. God help us. Anyway, that's it. We're out of time for today. I appreciate the use of your ears. We'll have more on the hearings and everything else that happens between now and then. Hey, I think we got through a whole show without mentioning Ukraine, which I'm pretty proud of. Anyway, thanks for listening. I'll see you tomorrow.